Welcome to Daily Power Parsha. Formal welcome. It's Thursday, July 15th, 2021. And we are in the middle of the Torah portion of Devarim, the first section, first portion of the book of Deuteronomy. And we have a lot to talk about. So yesterday, we finished reading number four for Wednesday. Today, we're going to jump into reading number five. The theme of the reading was about the sin of the spies and the aftermath and how 40 years of wandering came down as a result of the sin of the spies. Okay, and that takes us to reading number five. This is Moses, of course, at the end of the 40 years, recalling what had happened 40 years prior. Here we go. Deuteronomy chapter 2, verse number 2, we begin. And the Lord spoke to me, saying, this is Moses talking to the people, recalling what God said to him 40 years prior. The Lord spoke to me saying, you have circled this mountain long enough, turn northward. This is a, there's a beautiful insight that I want to share with you on this. You know, oftentimes we circle the mountains. I think there's, a, there's an expression, I know there's an expression, circling the wagons. I don't know exactly what that expression means in all contexts. I think people use it for different contexts sometimes. But circling the mountain in this context means y'all have been just going in circles, right? Sometimes, sometimes we go in circles because we're afraid or whatever it is. We're in a holding pattern and we're not moving forward. So God says at some point, now let's go forward. By the way, when did this happen? After 40 years or 39 years or 38 years, whatever it is. But at the end of the 40 years, this is when God told Moses, as Moses reports now, God told me, You've been circling long enough. Now it's time to go north. And let's continue. Verse number four. And command the people saying, You are about to pass through the boundary of her kinsmen, the children of Esau, who dwell in Seir, and they will be afraid of you. Be very careful. Very interesting terminology. Very interesting language um, that God said to, uh, spoke to Moses. Right? You're about to go through the land of Esau, which is, by the way, known as Edom, or Edom, Edom, E-D-O-M. Um, they dwell in Seir. Again, Seir, Edom, Esau, all the same people, the same nation, the same area. They will be afraid, be very careful. What does it mean to be very careful? So, right? Yes, Donna says time to climb the mountain. Exactly. No more circling, a time to climb. So, what does that mean to be careful? Verse 5, you shall not provoke them. Don't start up with them. For I will not give you any of their land, not so much as a footstep, not even a foot of their land, because I have given Mount Seir to Esau for an inheritance. So, I feel like I want to go back to yesterday's reading for a moment. So, you see this? See this last verse of, of yesterday's reading? They turned and journeyed after the decree came down for 40 years of wandering. They, they turned and journeyed the desert by way of the Red Sea. Okay, and we circled Mount Seir for many days. So, God says, right, God told Moses, Moses reports in reading number 5, Right, enough circling the mountains. You've circled long enough. Now it's time to, to move, but you're not going to approach the mountain. Why? 
because the mountain, Mount Seir, was given to Esau for an inheritance. You shall buy food from them with money that you may eat, verse 6, right? You can buy food and also water you shall buy from them with money that you may drink. So we spoke about this. They didn't need to buy food and water. They had the manna from heaven. They had a well, the Miriam's well. They were well stocked. But God told them, nonetheless, you're supposed to support the local um, economy. So that was their way of benefiting the, um, the people that they were going to go, that, that they were intending to pass through, the nation, um, Esau's descendants, right? So this would be a way to, to support the local economy. Why, why should you not provoke them? For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. He knows of your walking through this great desert, these 40 years that the Lord your God has been with you, you have lacked nothing. So in other words, you've been blessed. You have plenty. You have whatever you need. Food, water, clothing, shelter, everything. 40 years of protection. When you go through that land, support the local economy, but Hashem has blessed you. I need to mention something that the mystics tell us about this verse. It says, Hashem has blessed you in all the work of your hand. And the mystics tell us that this defines the nature of work. You see, oftentimes, especially nowadays, people think that what earns money is their soul and their mind. And the Torah reminds us it's all from God. The blessings of Parnassah, the blessings of livelihood, come from Hashem. So yes, we do need to work, but the work needs to be limited to our hands. It's not literal, but it's a figurative idea. Where should our heads be? Our heads should be in something higher, purpose, right? Our headspace. What should be our goals, our dreams, our aspirations, our, our, our vision, our personal mission statement? It should be about the things that are important, not about the work. Work needs to be done, but work should not consume us. And for this, I'll tell you a story. There was once a chassid, there was once a disciple, of the fifth Rebbe of Chabad. The Rebbe was known as the Rebbe Rashab, Rabbi Shalom Dovber, Schneerson. And this Rebbe had many, many, many chassidim back in Russia. That's where the Lubavitch, the Chabad movement began. And there was once a fellow, one of his disciples, chassidim, who was in, started a business, was in a certain business, where they were making galoshes. You know what galoshes are? Galoshes, yes. What's a, what's a can you say singular, singular? What's a galosh or what a galosh is? Yeah. Boot. Boot. Rain boots. Rain boots, right? In Russia, right? It happens to, to snow a lot, right? So, so I've heard. And so you need boots. You need galosh. Huh? I have, I have an Ari, Rabbi Ari joke. Not to be confused with goulash. Not to be confused with goulash, exactly, right. Oh, yeah, sorry, what were you saying? I said galoshin. Ga- yeah, they had them, yeah. There you go. Are they the rubber things that fit over the shoes? It, uh, no. No. It's more like a, like, a, like a just regular shoe. It's not even a boot. It's a short shoe, but it's just made of, like, rubber. Got it. Okay. So this fellow made galoshes, as we say in, 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 in English, in America, whatever. But uh, I think in Yiddish it was also like Galushin. Like that's, that was the, something like that. 
Anyway, so he comes, he meets the Rebbe after, you know, whatever it was. And he was talking to the Rebbe about he wanted a blessing for the business and this and that and this strategy, that strategy. And the Rebbe said to him as follows. This is the fifth Rebbe, going back like a, a hundred years or so. He said, a foot, right, a foot in galoshes that I've seen, but a head in galoshes that I've never seen. That's very unusual. That a person's head should be in their boots. That's something very unusual. What he meant was, don't let the business consume you. Don't let it take over your brain. Don't let it monopolize your spirit and your soul. Don't, don't let it take over your life. Why? Because you and I are here for a higher purpose. And it's not the galoshes, and it's not whatever it is. That's not why we're here. We're here to achieve God's mission on earth, right? To bring Mashiach, to bring heaven down to earth, to do a mitzvah, to study Torah, to pray. We're here for the spiritual things. Along the way, we need money, all right? Money is like fuel, right? It fuels our real enterprise, the spiritual stuff. So you need, you need, the, you need, you need the grease for the wheels. You need the money, right? 100% you need the money. And to get the money, you need to work. And to work, you need to work. You need to do what you need to do. Fine, 100%. But remember what the priorities are. That's the message here. And so, again, I just want to, I, I want to bring you, for, in, in not like an, a meditation meditation, but I want you to focus on verse number seven. And look at the language. For the Lord your God has blessed you in all the work of your hand. When does God bless you? When you recognize that work is limited to the hand, to the limbs. That it should not take over our entire being, our heart, mind, body, our, 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 our heart and soul. So, to give you another example, I'm sharing with you concepts that are brought in Kabbalah and Hasidic discourses again and again and again. So, it's, it, it, I, I want to really like bring home this point. Imagine you go to your kitchen. You walk into the kitchen and you walk over to the sink. And you open the faucet open the faucet. I think people say turn on the faucet. I don't know if that's actually right. So you open it up, you turn it on, whatever it is, open the spigot and out comes nothing. And you're thinking, what's wrong? I'm opening up, whether you have a thing that you turn or a thing that you lift up or a thing that you push down or a thing that you push, whatever it is, it's not going. right? There's no water coming out. You're opening it, you're closing it, you're opening it, nothing. So now what you, you, had, you need water. What are you going to do? Okay. So you realize that there's a problem. What's the problem? You find out eventually the city line, the water line that's going from the city into the neighborhood, into your home, there's a problem with the line. So they shut off the water at the source. So there's no water in the source, which means that you can try to turn on your faucet from today to tomorrow. It's not going to work. Why? Because there's no water in the pipeline headed to your house. And so, my friends, this is what the mystics tell us. This is what our Rebbes, our holy Rebbes, told us. If there's no money, if there's no water, if there's no blessing in the pipeline, then you can drive yourself crazy. It ain't going to happen. Not, nothing's going to happen. So work, the work that we do is like opening the faucet. Which means that it's creating a channel for the divine blessing to flow through. 
Why? Because, so let me add another point. God doesn't want to have to perform a miracle to get us the money on a practical level. God wants us to go to work and to do what we need to do to make a vessel or a channel to contain and to chant it, to move the blessing through it so that it comes in natural means. But as, as it's explained in many, many discourses, mystical discourses, if there's no blessing, God forbid, in the pipeline, then one could work nonstop and it's, not, it's, 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 it's still not going to happen. Or even, or, or even so, they might get the money, but the money's going to go to, they're not going to enjoy the money because it's going to go to, God forbid, other things, other bills that a person doesn't want to have to pay. Emergencies and whatever. And, and, and. So what's the point? The point is that we need to balance the work that we do and we need to do the work. But the, ba- the balance is between the work that we do and the spiritual work that we do. We have to balance between focusing on the channel and the vessel down here to opening up the main, the main line from above. And that's what we do with the spiritual work, which I think is part of what we do here with DPP. Middle of the workday, right? In middle of the workday, we recognize that the channel is really a higher channel. The, the source is really a higher source for the blessings. And so we plug in through Torah study, conversation, right? Meditation, perhaps, we plug into a higher source to channel the blessings, and then our work can really have its effort. But here's a reminder not to get carried away with the, with the channel, with the vessel. Focus on what's important. As I believe Covey once said, Stephen Covey, the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. And Judaism has a very specific understanding of what the main thing is, and it's not what we do with our hands. It's the stuff that we do with our souls. All right, let's continue. Verse 7, he knows of your walking through this great desert. Right? God has blessed you. He knows your journey. These 40 years that the Lord your God has been with you, you have lacked nothing. Let's continue. And we departed. Moses recalls again. This is shortly before his passing. He's recalling what happened in the not-so-distant past. We departed from our kinsmen, the children of Esau, who dwelt in Seir, we went around. If you recall, we didn't do, it was just a few weeks ago that the Jews, we read about the Jews approaching the descendants of Esau and asking to cut through the land of Edom, Mount Seir. And they said no. And the Jews went around. And I mentioned then when we studied it, sometimes you got to know when to, when to cut your losses. You got to know when to fold them. You got to know when to walk away. And that's what happened. Moses recalls here. Um, we went around them. We went by way of the plain from Elat to, oh, sorry, uh, by by way of the plain from Elat and from Etzion Gever, and we turned and passed through the way of the desert of Moab. Okay, so we went around, and now we found ourselves in the desert of Moab. Verse number nine, and the Lord said to me, do not distress the Moabites, and do not provoke them to war. For I will not give you any of their land as an inheritance, because I have given our, that's a place, to the children of Lot as an inheritance. Now, let me just explain. The Moabites are the nation of Moab. Moab is one of the children of Lot, or Lot, depending on how you want to pronounce his name. I'll go Lot, because that's the, the Hebrew pronunciation is Lot. Who was Lot? Lot, as you might recall, was a nephew of Abraham, 
right? Abraham, our Jewish, the first Jew, right? Abraham, the monotheist, the father of monotheism. Abraham had a brother who passed away at a relatively uh, young age, and his brothers, his brother had a son. So the son's name was Lot. And Abraham, when his brother passed away, kind of took his nephew in, Lot, in as a, as a member of the family. Eventually, the Torah says they got into a fight about the land, about um, the grazing of the animals. And so Abraham and Lot part, parted ways. Um, and at a certain point in time, the Torah told us, this is back in the book of Genesis, that um, Lot lived in Sodom. Sodom. And uh, Sodom got destroyed because of the sins of the city. But Lot, because of his family connections, was saved by the angels. I'm just recalling, I'm just reminiscing about stories from Genesis, the book of Genesis. And Lot was saved along with his two daughters. So the whole city, really five cities were destroyed. That whole area, region was destroyed by God. And the only survivors are Lot and his two daughters. Well, they thought they were the only people left on earth. They thought it was like the Great Flood. Like uh, when Noah, you know, survived with his family, that was it. They thought that they were it. So his daughters contrived a plan to get their father drunk and to get pregnant from their father. And each one did. And thus were born each one. There were two daughters. So each one had a child from their own father. Um... But again, they thought that they weren't correct, but they thought that the whole world was destroyed and this is the only way to continue the population. Um, it was only that region, but they didn't know. There was no uh, Twitter then to check in on, on how other things are going. So they had two children, Ammon and Moab. Well, Moabites are from that nation of Moab. By the way, Moab means is, a, is an acronym for Me'av, which means from father. So, I mean, literally the name is... The daughter saying, I got pregnant from father. Anyway, but that's, uh, that's for another time discussing why the, the name was given in such, a, uh, such a, a blatant way, so to speak. Getting back to the story. So God says, do not distress. God said, Moses recalls, do not distress the Moabites. Don't provoke them. I'm not giving you their land. I've given it to the children of Lot as an inheritance. Again, Moab was from the children of Lot. The, let's continue verse 10, the Amim dwelt there formerly a great and numerous people and tall in stature as the Anakim. Anakim were um, certain giants. Let's continue verse 11. They also considered Rephaim as the Anakim, but the Moabites call them Amim. Okay. Different nations, different people call them different things. But the Moabites called them Amim, and that's uh, who we're talking about, Amim. And the Horites, or the Chorites, in Hebrew, the Chorites formerly dwelt in Seir. And the children of Esau were driving them out, and they exterminated them from before them and dwelt in their stead, just as the Israelites did to the land of their inheritance, which the Lord gave them. So here we have an interesting parallel between the children of Esau, the sons of Esau, driving out other people to settle their land in, in Mount Seir. And the Torah says, just like the Israelites, who are the children of Jacob, Esau's brother, right? That's what they will do to the nations that they encounter in the land of Canaan, which will become the land of Israel. 
So now God said, this is all God speaking to Moses reported later by Moses. Moses continues to quote God's words to him. Now get up and cross the book of Zered. That's what God said. So Moses says, so we crossed the brook of Zered. Let's continue. And the day is when we went from Kadesh Barnea. That was the stop from where they launched the spies. The days when we went from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the book of Zered in their approach to the land of Israel, numbered 38 years. So again, from when they arrived at Kadesh Barnea, they were supposed to go into the land right away until they continued the journey and crossed the brook of Zared, 38 years. Until all the generation of the men of war, men of war meaning the men of the generation of the Exodus, expired from the midst of the camp, just as the Lord swore to them. So again, we have this gap of 38 years. It's really 40 years in total. So it's like year one was the Exodus year, year then 38 years of wandering, essentially, until they, and then another year or so, whatever, another several months, until they ultimately ended up in Israel. Let's continue. Also, the hand of the Lord was upon them. In other words, the, um, um, the hand of the Lord was upon them, that generation that sinned with the spies. So the hand of the Lord was upon them to destroy them from the midst of the camp until they were consumed. So they died of natural causes, some died of not natural causes until that generation died out. So it was when all the men of war finished dying from among the people. So when, when that entire generation died out, Moses tells their kids that the Lord spoke to me saying, Today you are crossing the boundary of Moab at Ar. And when you approach opposite the children of Ammon, again, Ammon was also the brother of Moab, I told you Ammon and Moab, those two names, Ammon and Moab, those two names were the children of Lot, nephew of Abraham, basically Mishpacha, family. The Jews were told not to touch family, not to touch Esau's descendants because Esau was a twin brother to Jacob, and not to touch Lot's descendants because Lot was a nephew of Abraham from the same family. So not to touch Seir, Moab, or Ammon. Once again, God says, Neither distress them nor provoke them. For I will not give you of the land. Hold on, I'm getting um, all sorts of all sorts of knocking over here. So WhatsApp call for those of you wondering what that noise was. Um, let's continue. So God says, God said to Moses, as Moses recalls here at the end of the 40 years. Ah. God says. Don't distress them, don't provoke them, for I will not give you of the land of the children of Ammon as an inheritance, because I have given it to the children of Lot as an inheritance. So God is saying, essentially, it's already in the family, it's already going to Lot. I've given a piece to the children of Esau, I've given a piece to Moab, to Ammon, the sons of Lot, don't touch it too is considered a land of Rephaim. Rephaim dwelt there informally, and the Ammonites, right, we're talking about Ammon, the Ammonites call them Zamzumim. What a name. What a great name. Zamzumim. A great, numerous, and tall people as the Anakim, like the giants. 
But the Lord exterminated them before them and they drove them out and dwelt in their stead. Again, the Torah is connecting the experience of the children of Lot to the experience of the children of Israel, that they too had to drive out other people to inherit their land, etc. As he did the same to the children of Esau, dwelt in Seir, when he exterminated the Horites from before them, the Horites before them, and they drove them out and dwelt in their stead even to this day. Okay. So again, it's it's a it's a it's a um, a normal not normal it's a it's a common point of history that you have a nation that takes land by displacing another nation. Again, t- today modern sensibilities, oh, oh, that would be problematic. But how do you think we got here, right? Every na- every land is is perfectly native, right? Only those that were once born there. That's it. No one ever moved around. You and I know, we're not naive. We know how things work. The Torah is telling us, right? Ammon got its land by conquering some other nation. Moab got its land by conquering some other nation. Esau, um, Edom, uh, Seir, whatever you want to call it, they got their land by conquering another nation. And the Jewish people will get their land by conquering seven nations. It's, gone, it's, it's happening right here. Um, by the way, in case you're wondering, well, who did the Jews conquer from? Where are they? I don't know. No one knows. No one knows. These are not nations that rebuilt or whatever. Okay, let's continue. Uh, Verse 23. But the Avim, who dwelt in open cities up till Gaza, the the Kaftorites who came forth of Kaftor, exterminated them, and dwelt in their stead. We're getting a history of the, Mid- of the Middle East right here. We're getting a history of who lived where and then who conquered who. And if you're following at home, fantastic. I, I don't have my own chart opened up, so I'm just I'm going with the flow here. Rabbi? Yes. Rabbi? So this whole time, you know, Moses is talking to a generation that hasn't experienced all these things, right? They did a little bit. They did. Remember, they are the ones who took this final march. The, the, the previous generation died out in those 38 years of wandering. Now it's the new generation that has been with Moses the last, well, I mean, they, they're adults now, so they've been for a while. But they're the ones that took this journey around Esau, around Moab, around Ammon. They, no, they were the ones that were, that were they were with Moses now. They didn't do the, you know, the thing, the bad, the not good things that Moses is... is Correct. Correct. Yes. So, I mean, it seems like they're being admonished, but they didn't do it. No, it's not admonishment. It's just a reminder of of what could go wrong. It's saying like, all right, listen, this is what, this is what happened. This is what happened in the past. Look, there's a, there's a line that says those who do not study history are destined to repeat it or something like that. Right. If we, if we don't know what, what happened then uh, we're just going to make the same mistake. So this is a reminder of, uh, of, of the negative that happened. But right now, he's really just talking about kind of the journey. Um, all right, so God, God continues to tell Moses, not now. This is Moses telling the people what God told him a few months ago. Get up, journey, and cross the river Arnon. Behold, I have delivered you, sorry, delivered into your hands, Sichon the Amorite, that's, Fair, fair game. 
They were not Ammon, Moab, or Esau. So Sichon, the Amorite king of Heshbon, and his land begin to possess it and provoke him to war. So the other nations that were family, they were told not to start up, don't start, don't provoke to war, go around, you're not getting the land. But Sichon, the king of the, the in Hebrew it's Emory, like Emory, um, not exactly, but kind of, maybe. So the king of the Amorites, they were not told to avoid. They were told to begin to possess and provoke them to war. Today I will begin to put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the nations. People will be afraid of you that are under the entire heaven, who will hear reports of you and shake and be in trepidation because of you. So Moses tells the people, I sent messengers from the desert of Kedemo to Sichon, king of Heshbon, with words of peace. Because God didn't say you have to fight with them. Offer them peace. And if not, if they come out for war, then you can, you can fight. So I came with words of peace, saying, Allow me to pass through your land. I will go along the highway. I will turn neither to the right nor to the left. So really, it's I want to go through your land. The other lands they were told, go around. This land, they requested a pass through. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat. Verse, sorry, verse 28. Let me unhighlight 27. You shall sell me food for money that I may eat and give to me water for money that I may drink. I will only pass through by my feet. Just as the children of Esau who dwelt in Seir and the Moabites who dwelt in Ar did for me until I crossed the Jordan to the land which the Lord our God is giving us. That was the request. Let me pass through. But Sichon, king of Heshbon, did not wish to let us pass by him for the Lord your God caused his spirit to be hardened. Wow, a hardened spirit that's evocative of Pharaoh. And his heart to be obstinate. Again, an obstinate heart sounds like Pharaoh. In order that he would give him into your hand as this day. So if he let you pass through, there wouldn't be a transformation that happened. But because he didn't, he had to go to war. So now you gained more land and there was this transformation. All right, let's talk. That's the end of the story. Again, Moses is giving a bit of a recent history lesson. Let's take a quick look at Rashi's, and then hopefully we'll, uh, we'll gain some, some insights here and close it out. Um, okay, here we go. Be careful means do not provoke them, and this is for the descendants of Esau. Again, Mishpacha family. Okay, here we go. Very interesting. I've given Mount Seir to Esau for an inheritance. What does that mean from Abraham? I gave ten nations to Abraham, seven of them for you, the seven of Canaan, and the Canaanites, the Canaanites, and the Canaanites, who are Ammon, Moab, and Seir. One of them is for Esau, the other two are for the children of Lot, as I mentioned before, as a reward for Lot, or Lot, for going with him, Abraham, to Egypt, for keeping silent when Abraham said regarding his wife, she's my sister, he treated him, Lot, as, his, as Abraham's son, to inherit part of the land. Basically, the Torah tells us that shortly after Abraham and Sarah, arrive in the land of Canaan, the land that will become Israel, ultimately. So there was a famine. They had to go down to Egypt. And in Egypt, Abraham was concerned that they would, um, that they would kill him to take his wife. So he said to his wife, Sarah, tell them that she's my sister. Lot was traveling with them as the nephew, and he kept quiet. He went along with the, uh, with the plan. Um, so in, in the merit of him, you know, being on board and doing what the family wanted. So he got rewarded as, as part of the family, the Abrahamic family, and he got a piece of the land of Israel. Or the land, at least, you know, in that, in that area right outside of Israel. Um, and his two sons, right, his two sons, Ammon and Moab, got land. Let's continue. 
Buy means purchase. We got that. Um, interesting. The Lord your God has blessed you. Look at Rashi. This is an interesting Rashi. Therefore, you should not be ungrateful for his goodness to you by acting as though you were poor. Look at that. Don't be ungrateful by acting that you're poor. Rather, show yourselves as rich people. The whole idea of, I don't have, I need, uh, the, the whole thing is, is, according to Rashi, lack of gratitude. It's being ungrateful. Because if God is blessing you and God blesses all of us, then we should exult or we should rejoice in the blessings. We should feel rich. doesn't matter what's in our bank accounts. We should feel blessed. First of all, it's healthier to be happy. More positive than negative, number one. Number two, it's gratitude. And who are you more, let's talk about parenting. Who are you more inclined to give something to, to buy a, a new toy for? The kid that's complaining they, never, they don't have any toys, even though like you're looking at the room, they have plenty of toys. Or the kid that, that shows gratitude. You're more likely to give more to the one who shows gratitude than the one who's kvetching the whole time about not having. So in other words, don't kvetch. Be grateful, right? Carry yourself like a rich person. It doesn't mean buy a Bentley, buy a Tesla necessarily. But you want to buy a Tesla, buy a Tesla. I'm not saying no, but that's not what it means to show yourself as rich people. But be with a disposition, be with joy, be with um, gratitude, like you have whatever you need. Let's continue. Um, don't provoke them. Um, Okay, here we go. The hand of the Lord was, was against them. Oh, that's interesting. Here it says upon them and here it says against them. All right, this one could bring up to the editors of Chabad.org. Okay, it, this is Rashi quoting the verse and they use a different translation. This is not punctuation. This is literally a translation that is upon or against. An inconsistency in the Rashi that's quoted right beneath the verse. So you guys can point that out. If anybody wants to be the editor for Chabad.org, you can do that. So it says, um, the, the hand of the Lord was upon them or against them, uh, the, the original generation to, dis, to consume them in the 40 years. So Rashi says, to quickly destroy them within a period of 40 years, so that they would not cause their children to tarry any longer in the desert. Basically, there was a balance between allowing that, that generation to live out its life, but also making sure that it doesn't stretch beyond 40 years because everyone of that previous generation that was a, an adult had to be gone before the next generation went into the land. So there was, it moved a little bit quickly over, over the span of 40 years. It wasn't like 40 days, but over 40 years. Um, this is powerful. So Moses says it was after the men died that the Lord spoke to me. Rashi says, but since the spies were sent until now, the end of the 40 years, the word Vayedaber, which means that God spoke to Moses with endearment, is not mentioned in the section, only Vayomer, which means a less endearing form of communication. And that teaches us that during this entire 38 years, during which time the Israelites were under ban by God, the divine speech was not directed toward him, towards Moses in an expression of affection face-to-face -face and with peace of mind to teach us that the divine presence rests upon the prophets only for Israel's sake. So while Israel were in a holding pattern, God did not speak with Moses 
Vayedaber, in an enduring fashion, only Vayomra, which is less, less of an intimate communication. Why? Because Moses is not Moses without the people. And if the people are in a bit of, a, of an in-between period, then Moses is also not exactly where he needs to be. Um, okay, men of war. As we know, in the Torah, it means anybody over 20 years of age. Let's continue. Um, more Rashi's. Do, 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 do. Let's continue. All right, this is powerful. Under the entire heaven. So God said, Moses uh, quotes God, Today I will begin to put the dread of you and the fear of you upon the nations that are under the entire heaven. Rashi says, what does that mean? This statement that nations under the whole heaven will fear the Israelites teaches us that the sun stood still for Moses on the day of the battle of Og. Look at that. And the matter became consequently known unto the entire heaven, that is to the entire world. So when the Jews were battling Og, so a battle wrapped up in one day. How did it wrap up in one day? Because the sun stood still. It did not set on the battlefield. The sun stood still. But if the sun stands still on the battlefield, it also stands still in the rest of the world. So everyone knew that a miracle was happening because it's like, hold on, it's 9 p.m. Why isn't it dark yet? Why is it still sunny? The sun is not, is, is not setting. That's because of the war. And that's how everybody knew about what had happened. This is from the Talmud Tractate of Adazar. Okay, let's continue. All right, so even though this is the overture of peace to Sichon, even though um, the omnipresent and I commanded me, Moses, to call in, to Sichon in peace, I learned to do so from the incident of the desert of Sinai relating to the Torah which preceded the world. When the Holy One, blessed be He, was about to give Torah to Israel. Wow, now we got a beautiful idea. When, the, when God was about to give Torah to the Jewish people, He took it to Esau and to Ishmael. Although it was clear to Him that they would not accept it, nevertheless, He began with them in peace. So too, Moses, I first called to Sichon. So too, Moses says, I first called to Sichon with words of peace. That is a beautiful explanation. Why does Moses uh, begin with an overture of peace? Because God also began the Torah's delivery with an overture of peace, offering it to Esau and Ishmael, and they both rejected it. Okay, let's continue. Another interpretation, another explanation. Moses says to God, I learned this from you, who preceded the world. You could have sent one flash of lightning to consume the Egyptians, but instead you sent me from the desert to Pharaoh, saying, let my people go patiently. You offered it in a peaceful fashion. God, you could have stepped in, destroyed Egypt, and let the Jewish people go. But no, you chose me and sent me to go to Pharaoh and say, please let my people go. Let's do this in a peaceful way because you, God, value peace. I also will value peace. And that's why Moses offers words of peace to Sichon, the king of Heshbon, even though that was not family and they were not commanded to begin with an overture of peace. Moses says, I learned from God that we always begin with peace before the atomic option. Let's continue. Final Rashi's. Um, not referring to permission to walk through land, but selling of what food and water. Okay, fine. Um, those are short Rashi's. I don't want to. I don't want to read them and, and interpret them. Let's uh, let's conclude. So, what do we have here? So today we explored the rest, the continuation of the narrative. Moses is speaking to the people, and Moses tells the people 
this is all that happened 40 years ago and happened recently and about the approach to Israel and the nations and the fights and the wars and all that stuff. Um, and the family, so we have a few messages. Number one, sometimes it's, we've circled long enough. It's time to move on, to move on and up, onward and upward. Message number one, sometimes you got to move forward. Got to make a decision. It may not be perfect, but you got to move forward and that's it. Number two, second lesson that we spoke about is knowing who to avoid. I mentioned this a few weeks ago. But knowing not every fight needs to be fought. Even as you move forward, you don't have to pick every battle. You don't have to fight every. Pick your battles carefully. Sometimes it's better to walk away. Next, God blesses us in the work of our hands. Let's not put our heads in the galushin. Let's put our feet in the galushin. Heads in boots don't make sense. Feet in boots make sense, but not heads. Let's keep our heads where they need to be, and our, and our feet, and our hands, they, that can do the work. Um, God takes care of us in this great desert, in the desert of life. I didn't mention that. I mentioned, I mentioned, didn't mention that before. I mentioned that now. And the journeys. Not to mess with family and overtures of peace even when they're not required, and that's a beautiful lesson for us all. Okay, my friends, this is it for DBP for today. Hope that was intriguing and informative. And it's, and Thank it's you so much, my pleasure and inspiring. That is the, today's daily lesson. Tomorrow we're back on, same time, same bad time, same bad channel, 12 o'clock noon, check your local listings. Kidding, you can just join on this Zoom. And um, tonight is part three of the resurrection course. This is going to be the finest session yet. We've saved the best for last. And the question is, why must there be death before eternal life? Join me tonight at 8 to find out the incredible explanation or this incredible topic as we do it on Zoom, the resurrection course. All right, wishing everybody a wonderful day. And yes, take care, everybody. Bye, Sarah. Bye, Olia. Bye, Donna. See you guys soon. Take care. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. See ya.